Good morning, everybody. My name is Wendy, and I'm bringing the Bible reading to you today. And you can find it in the book of John, chapter 19, from verses 28. And if you would like to read it in your pew Bibles, it's on page 1135. The death of Jesus. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Wendy, for reading uh, that passage of scripture for us this morning. And uh, we're going to look at uh, a, a section of this passage this morning. So let's first come to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this Good Friday. We thank you, Lord, for what Christ has done for us. And even as we've read your word, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to understand this word, but more importantly, Lord, to understand who Christ is and what he came to do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The morning wanes as Jesus stumbles out of the praetorium, horribly beaten and bleeding profusely. The Roman soldiers had been brutal in their cruelty. Thorns have ripped the scalp of Jesus and his back is one terrible oozing wound. He had no strength to manage the heavy crossbar and Simon of Cyrene is drafted by the crowd to carry that cross. And later, Jesus is hanging in sheer agony in one of the cruelest instruments of torture ever devised. Nails have been driven through his wrist, which we only know about because of the doubt of Thomas, we'll express in a couple of days. A sign above Jesus declares in Greek, Latin, and Aramaic who he is, 
the king of the Jews. The king is flanked on either side by thieves and around him are mockers. They are saying this, let him save himself if he is Christ of God, he is chosen one. One dying thief even joins in this decry. And today, we pause to remember one death, one brutal, gruesome death, the worst and best of all human deaths, will live on human history. In Jerusalem, God the Son, the creator of all that is, was executed in the most barbaric way ever. And on this Good Friday, we ask and we must ask ourselves, why? Why would this be? And so this morning for our passage, I want to speak to you from John chapter 19, 28 to 37. And there are basically three things that I want to share with you this morning. The thirst, the triumph, and the testimony. The thirst, the triumph, and the testimony. And I hope... You will come with me as we look at this text together this morning. The thirst. Verse 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing all was finished, was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. You see, friends, leading up to his death, Jesus had no sleep. He had been betrayed. He had been denied. He suffered under, hands, suffered under the hands of wicked and cruel men. His sufferings were intense. We read in the other Gospels as well of the suffering that Jesus went through. He had been shamed. He was numbered amongst the transgressors. He was publicly humiliated. He was spat upon. He was whipped. He had a crown of thorns put on his head and he was nailed to the cross. And so the prophet Isaiah, nearly 700 years before the event, gives us a picture of Jesus, of what Jesus would look, look like when he hung on the cross. He says this, See, my servant will act wisely and he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So we are given from the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the event of a picture of what Christ would look at on the cross. A human being hanging there completely disfigured beyond that of human recognition. Can you just imagine that for a moment? What a sight that would have been. What a sight. And Isaiah, under the grace of God, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, gives that vision of what Christ would look like. And so on that day, that's exactly what he looked like. He suffered under the hands of these wicked men who had done all they had to do to his body. 
And we know what it is then to thirst, isn't it? For example, on a hot day or a long period of exercise, we all get thirsty, don't we? We can go to our fridges and have ice water and ice tea and ice drinks and everything else to quench our thirst. But here, in this instance, it was a thirst that came from the Son of God while hanging on the cross. You know why, friends? Crucifixion was a very long process of dehydration. In, it is mid-afternoon now, and the airy darkness has fallen, and everyone is on edge. But for Jesus, the darkness is a horror that he has never known. And this more than the nails and the thorns and the lashings is what made him sweat blood in the garden. The father's wrath is hitting him in full force. He is in that moment no longer the blessed but the cursed. He has become sin in terrifying isolation. Cut off from his father and all humans, he screams. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatani. In Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why, friends? There is no greater love than what is displayed at the cross. There is humility, obedience that has ever been displayed. And so shortly after three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus whispers hoarsely for a drink. He says, I thirst. This was the thirst of a dying man. Jesus was being poured out like water. His strength was drying up like that of a piece of pottery. And his tongue was sticking to the roof of his mouth. And he said, I thirst. And John tells us what happened next. A jar full of wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Now, friends, even this was spoken of in the scriptures. Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me poison for food and for my thirst. What do we read? They gave me sour wine to drink. Even this very detail is given to us, is prophesied by the psalmist. And so what is taking place here on the cross is not something that is an isolated event, friends. What is taking place on the cross is God's plan being perfectly executed. Is it not the case? Prophecy after prophecy is being fulfilled so that the scriptures might be fulfilled as we see in our text here. And this is what was taking place. And yet Jesus would say, Come unto me, all you who are thirsty, isn't it? For from me will come living waters. And he's dying there so that our thirst will be quenched by his sacrifice. And then we see the triumph here. Look at verse 30. When Jesus had, been, had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. You see, the word in the original text is just one word. Tetelestai. 
which meant something was completed. It comes from a Greek word which means to be fully, to fully accomplish a task. It's a common word that is used in commerce. You see, when a merchant had offered credit, he kept a bill listing the amount of money that the customer owed. And so when the customer paid the bill, the merchant would stamp tetelestai on the invoice, which meant paid in full. Isn't that a good feeling when you pay a bill and you get that stamp said paid in full? Right? All of us get bills, don't we? Do you? You go to the mailbox and think, what's the next bill? Or you look at your emails and think, man, what's the next bill? And they keep coming. And when we pay it, and we paid it in full, say, okay, the account has been closed. <laughs> it's a good feeling when the bills are paid. You see, this one word, friends, the customer paid the bill, the merchant would stamp it, the I paid in full. And now, that word is taken and applied, and Jesus says, it is finished. Charles Purgeon, the great preacher, put it this way about this one word. He said this, it would need all the other words that ever were spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. Can you? You forget everything about this message this morning. Just remember the words. Finished. It is finished. Or you can remember one word finished all right and so this brings us to the question this morning what did jesus pay in full for what did he pay in full for you see that sin debt has been paid in full and you might ask me to ask the question what is sin see sin is disobedience or rebellion against the holy god and the fundamental question is this what does sin do to god and how is how does he make it right with us you see, sin dishonors God. Sin belittles God. Sin detracts from his glory. Sin treats God as inferior in value. Sin separates humanity from God. Humanity has turned their backs to God. And sin as a penalty. And the penalty is death. And so in order to bring us back to God, the penalty has to be paid. Justice had to be met. And we need God's forgiveness. You see, we ourselves can be a very unforgiving people, can't we? The classic example now, the sad reality of the Australian cricket team. How sad is that? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a strong Sri Lankan cricket fan. I have no offense against Aussies. And it's, it's good when they play and I support the Australian team, except when they play against Sri Lanka. But Anyway... I, I, I love cricket. I played so much of cricket in my life. But you see, the classic example is the reaction we see with the Australian cricket captain and the ball tampering issue. Yesterday I saw the interview and it kind of broke my heart in one sense. Yes, the price has to be paid, but we don't forgive easily, do we? See, what about our lives, friends? See, when we confessed ask into God he will forgive he will pardon he will take the guilt away he will deal with your sin and mine 
He will lift the burden and cleanse the heart and strengthen the spirit and give to us the joy of forgiveness so that we can extend forgiveness to others. Are you carrying a burden of an unforgiven sin in your life that you have perhaps committed many years ago or even recently and you think, Oh God is not going to forgive me. My sin is so big that God looks upon me and says, You terrible person. No, no, no. When we come and we cry to this God and we say, Lord, I am so sorry. I have sinned against you. I have done things that are miserable. I am so shameful. God says, look at my son at the cross. That is my statement of your forgiveness. That is your statement that your sin has been dealt with. That is the guarantee that you have. Never again will I remember that sin because I I have pardoned you. I have paid it in full. Tetelestai. Finished. What a blessing. There is no debt to pay. And he has nothing left to give. He has done it all, friends. And then, look at this passage. See, this debt is a, is a triumphant one, isn't it? At the cross, he made this sacrifice. In love, he's drained the cup of his father's wrath. There is no debt left to pay. And the text tells us that he gave up his soul and breathes his last. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In another gospel, Luke 23, we read that moments away from his death, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, a loud voice, gave up his spirit. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This again is fulfillment of prophecy. Really from the psalm, Psalm 31. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Do we see the tread here? Do you see what's happening at the cross? God's plan is being executed. And so he yielded up his spirit. But friends, notice this. That death did not take him. He took death on his own terms. Jesus laid down his head and gave up his spirit. His death was a conquering one. His death was a victorious one. His death was a triumphant one. His loud cry was like that of an army commander who had won the battle. And he says, mission. What's the word I'm looking for? Accomplished. Mission accomplished. This is the voluntary giving up of his life. He completed the work the Father has given to do because by his blood shed on the cross, by his death, our sins against God is forgiven. And Good Friday is a day of deep, deep reflection as well as a day of joy. That is why it's Good Friday. And then, since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first. 
and that of the other who had been crucified. And then we see the testimony here. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he had, was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came blood and water. Why I asked myself the question when I was preparing this text, why is this detail given? You see, to make the point that Jesus was truly dead, and this was all according to God's plan, we will see in a moment, the water and the blood is a fulfillment again of prophecies, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And look at verses 36 and 37. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. You see, when a person was dying on the cross, they used to push themselves up to get the breath. And as they did that, they reduced the strength of their legs to do it. And by the crushing of the bones on the legs, it meant that the person could not push anymore. And death was soon. And so, my dear friends, this morning, John says, he's an eyewitness to what took place on the cross. I was, look here in this passage. See, It tells us that he was there. His own eyes has seen it. His testimony is genuine and true. You see, you might have so many questions about Christianity. You might be looking down upon God and trying to challenge him as if you are God. As if I am God. No, 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 no. At the cross, God says, you listen to me. Because this is what I have done for you. The eyewitness says, I saw it. I've written it. My testimony is genuine. Friends, this morning, this is the testimony of the scriptures. John saw that when the soldiers came to Jesus, they did not break the legs of Jesus. Why? Because he was already dead. But there was another reason. And that's the fulfillment of two other prophecies. Exodus 20, uh, 12, Numbers 9. So this morning, as we come to a conclusion of this talk, the death of Jesus looked like the single greatest defeat that God's people had ever experienced. The death of Jesus was a triumphant one when he cried out, finished. He did it for you and for me. This Good Friday morning, let us stand in the shadow of the cross to learn of God. For what, is, what it is here, for it is here where the Son of God was set forth to amplify and supremely demonstrate God's love to us. This Good Friday morning, let us stand in the shadow of the cross and marvel of what Jesus did for you. This Good Friday morning, let us stand in the shadow of the cross and worship not a dead Jesus, but the risen Lord, whose resurrection from the dead we will celebrate on Easter Sunday. You see, my dear friends, Jesus died because the weight of sin was such and the gravity of our offense against God was such that no one could pay the penalty. We can't do it. Do you think you can? Religion won't work. Charity will not do it. Only Jesus Christ crucified in our place, bearing our shame and our condemnation, paying the penalty for us. 
That is God's love for you. That is God's love for you. When I first heard this message as a, as a, as a young guy, when the gospel was shared with me, I began to marvel at the gospel of Christ. What a tremendous work. No more sacrifices to be made. No more pain for my sins. No more works of climbing up the ladder to be right with God. Only coming to this Savior just as I am. And God says, come. And Jesus says, come to me. And the scriptures say, when you come, he will forgive and cleanse and give us a new life. That's Good Friday. What a blessing. And he did it all for you. There is a fascinating old song. I was in fact listening to some of the good old hymns yesterday. And this fascinating old song is in, um, uh, in, uh, written by Ira Sankey. I think we have the Sankey's hymn book, right? Or we did have. Right? Ira Sankey was a songwriter and music leader. And he wrote uh, these, these wonderful words on It Is Finished. The words are both beautiful and blunt. goes like this. It is finished. Yes, indeed. Finished every jot. Sinner, this is all you need. Tell me, is it not? Weary, working, working burden one. Wherefore toil you so. Cease your doing. All was done long, long ago. Till to Jesus' work you cling by a simple faith. Doing is a deadly thing. Doing leads to death. Cast your deadly down, uh, doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him, in Him alone. Gloriously, what's it? Complete. Gloriously, complete. It is finished. Tetelestai, finished. Jesus did it all. Will you trust him this morning? Think about that as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. It's a reminder to us of what he's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus on the cross. We thank you that the work is complete. It is finished once and for all. I pray this morning that your spirit will empower us, Lord, to behold the marvelous work of Christ on the cross. That our sins are forgiven. That through faith in Jesus we are reconciled to the living God. And we thank you that our Savior Jesus is not in the grave, but indeed the risen Lord. And so help us this morning to marvel, to submit, to love, to rejoice in what you have done for us. If there is anyone here today who does not know Jesus as his or her Savior, Lord, may today be the day that such a person will go from doing, doing, doing to saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen.